On this episode of AV Week, we take a look at some serious public AV fails. 16K is coming, or actually is here, and consumer security in the commercial industry. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. This is AV Week. Episode 616, recorded Friday, June 9th, 2023. Dollars and Cents. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, uh, a couple of really uh, great new folks uh, and a elder statesman of the AV industry. First and foremost, Brent Yenser. Uh, Brent is from Moravian University. Welcome, ma'am. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Brent has also uh, started here in the last couple of months a fantastic uh, podcast, uh, not not exclusively higher education folks, but a lot of them have been on. So you can check that check that out. We'll talk about that as, 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 uh, in a second. Jennifer Weaver. Jennifer is uh, from our friends over at Staring, and uh, we feel sorry for her because she works with Chris Neto. Welcome, ma'am. I do. Thank you. And Chris has been so wonderful. Thank you for having me. How much did he pay you to say that? Uh, lots. I am certain. Uh, and last but not least, the elder, one of the elder statement, statesmen of the AV industry, Mr. Bradford Ben from Advise Us. Welcome, sir. Thank you for having me. Your pleasure for me to be here. And Jennifer, uh, wait until you have Chris in your vehicle when you pick him up at the airport. It's a whole new Chris Netto. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. And Britt, it's great to see the Lehigh Valley represented uh, from my old stomping grounds. So, And Tim, you still need a haircut to quote Matt. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just jealous you have hair. That's why I keep doing it, bud. As long, I, as, long as I can grow this, I think I'm going to. Like, I think that's going to be my, my, this is my flex. I can't grow a beard, but I can do this. Yeah, that, that's Tim not shaving for, what, 10, 12 years now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This, but my brain needs cooling because it's a little more powerful than Tim's. And mine does not. All right, first story comes to us uh, from our friends uh, over at a, um, uh, My Tech Decisions. The Federal Communications, the Federal Trade Commission, easy for me to say, FTC, has filed a complaint against Ring, uh, the popular home security company, alleging that the company engaged in poor security practices and improperly accessed users' private videos. FTC claims that Ring failed to provide adequate safeguards, leading to unauthorized access to customers' videos by company employees. Furthermore, the complaint highlights instances where Ring granted inappropriate access to its employees and failed to implement basic security measures. Bradford, this is not the first time we have talked about Ring on this program. I don't know that it will be the last. I am not a fortune teller, but it's very possible that it may be. It, it might not be the last. This was posted on, on my tech decisions because there are a number of universities and, quite frankly, a number of, of commercial installations where they're leveraging a lot of these con consumer-facing devices like video doorbells, right, for security. Talk for a second about some of the dangers of using consumer security, right, or consumer network gear or consumer facing devices in a commercial higher ed application, Bradford. I do want to add one little twist. It doesn't matter if it's consumer or pro. All video recording and audio recording and voice assistants and all these things all have the same 
little problems. Ring happens to have the problem because how many people beside me and Josh Schrago will read through the end user license agreement to understand what's happening? Yeah. Uh, so there is that. So, but the big thing is, is the challenge is people think, oh, I can do this with a ring doorbell at home. Here's all that happens. I just put it in at, you know, at my office in the school because ring doorbells are now available wirelessly. Yep. But without looking at, okay, what are the security practices? Everyone thinks Amazon, AWS, it's all safe. Yes. When you pay for AWS service, that is very safe. When you pay for ring service and you read through the whole policy, that's a whole nother thing. Uh, but we have the same issue with Samsung smart displays. We have the same issue with these little devices, uh, Android especially because of their open garden versus the walled garden. The whole thing is more of the before installing a commercial unit, make sure that the the trade-offs have been looked at. Uh, the what the quality is, what the data safety is, what all of those things are. Because to be honest, this could just as easily be a very secure pro-level access control system that had rogue employees or had poor security. So it's not actually the consumers. It's just that Ring is so prevalent and become the Kleenex of video doorbells. And by Kleenex, I mean... It's a facial tissue. It's not Kleenex. Kleenex is the brand, but that's what rings become. Uh, and the fact that it's Amazon, it's just one of these, okay, this is something to be aware of. Now, as for higher ed, there's all sorts of issues with student privacy and sensors and room monitoring and all of that stuff that still has to be discussed. And you have the same issues in any corporate environment. Uh, the example I use is if you go to a concert, a sporting event, a theme park, any, even a movie theater, and you read the back of the ticket and you look at that really fine print and you see what it says, it's a license to do all these various things, including using your picture, etc. And that's just the exact same thing that this is. Now, I will update a little bit. Uh, Ring and Amazon actually today agreed they're going to pay the fine. Uh, that happened earlier this morning, so they have, in fact, paid it. But I think the bigger story is, no matter what technology, what brand, what company, what anything you use, you need to look at what what the privacy is and the safeguards. Because Centurion, or not Experian, and credit scores and all these other things have all these great security things in place in their commercial, and they still have breaches. So. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's a residential problem. I will say using residential and commercial, you can look at the duty cycle and all that type of stuff, but that doesn't really apply to doorbells. All right, Jennifer, how do we get the, the, the clients, the, the folks that are, are, are purchasing these to get them to take security more seriously then? And I've done this even before I started working with Sarah and I was an integrator. And when an integrator, as an integrator, when my customer was telling me, well, I want the display that's from Brandsmart or I want this consumer grade product that's going in a professional environment, it it's not always what they think. They're looking at dollar, right? They're yeah. looking at how much money they're spending. I think that's part of what's going on here is the fact that Ring is an inexpensive product. I have them in my home. 
now as a consumer, I'm questioning, is it something that I want to have now in my home, you know? Yeah. So they've got to understand that there's always going to be a breach of something regardless of what it is. But if you are a professional environment, whether it's corporate America, higher ed, if it's not going in your home, you've got to really think about what's going to happen on the back end. Just because it's inexpensive and it's working in your home doesn't mean that inexpensive should be working in your office environment. You just, I think you just have to talk them up and really get them to understand. And not that you want to throw out to a professional environment or corporate customer or higher ed university this article, but it might be beneficial. It's, it's knowledge, it's education, and it's awareness. Yep. And I think if you do that and then they still decide, you kind of just wash your hands of it and go, well, I gave you what, you know, the information you needed. And if they made their own decision, then you can't control it. Britt, I, I, I used to, to used to live where, where you are now, right, uh, in, in higher education, you know, making sure that having conversations with the dean of this, that, and the other, or the president of, of the college. And like Jennifer just said, a lot of times they, they make decisions based on dollars and cents as opposed to common sense. How, how do you have conversations with uh, colleagues? How do you have conversations with the, the ultimate decision makers to say, look, guys, this is not, this is not security uh, minded. This is not security focused here. We need to have a different, different, a different decision. I think uh, to Jennifer's point, and like you said, a lot of it comes down to the cost. And so you have to explain, and I like to use a combination of like, we're talking it through, but there's also visuals. I put together a lot of like spreadsheets and charts and text to like, so they have something to reference and it becomes a little bit more digestible for them and to show yes, you can receive this product at this price point, but I think most people understand you get what you pay for. So if you can really highlight for people, this is the price point, but this is what you are really getting. Um, and you know, you could be opening yourself up to these security risks or these particular dropout issues or whatever the issues are with the product at that price point, that does help to sway a decision. And at the end of the day, um, like any AV solution, the first step is to consider what the end user need really is. So when I go into those conversations, I want to make sure I know what is it that you're trying to accomplish with this so yeah. that I can show you like, here's the consumer product you found. Maybe here's the pro AV product that does a similar thing or does what you want it to do. And here are the pros and cons of these products. And, and really quickly, before we move on to the next one, the, Jennifer, you made a good point there. Here's the, here's the commercial or here's the, the, the professional version of that. Sometimes that's not available yet. Um, and and I'll, I'll reference back to uh, the, you know, the, the, the Apple TV and, and the ability to, to wirelessly send video. At the time it came out, there was not a comparable solution. Now, oh. at the time it came out, Bradford. I'm gonna disagree a little on that. Okay, cause... well, I'm, I'm gonna go to, to the ClickShare, right? The Barco ClickShare yeah. was the first widely accepted, widely available, popular solution to wirelessly send video in a commercial environment. Now, you, you could say that there was a there might have been a one-off from somebody, and, and Bradford worked for Harmon for 325 years. So they may have had something at the time that I'm, I'm not thinking of. Um, but but you do have to have a little bit of, uh, 
grace, I guess, is, is yeah. if what they want to do from the consumer world isn't available yet, then, you know, what, what, are you, what, what was available, Bradford? Well, I wasn't going to have that argument because that okay. can go down a, an ugly rabbit hole. But I was going to follow up on something that Britt said and also a question you asked of the how do you convince the higher ups that not to do consumer and all the privacy rules. Uh, I'm not going to say this is dirty pool. This is knowing the playing field well. You ask them to ask their insurance company. Of what's their liability if there is a data breach. And that often changes the discussion. And that happens on all sorts of stuff. When I had a client who wanted to put a voice control system from a major shopping company into their, their conference room. And my direct answer to them was, no, here's all the reasons I don't think you should do it. And by the way, what's your insurance company say? They have no voice control in the entire building as a result of that wow. because they're a bank and they deal in, you know, not public stuff and the insurance company won. It's kind of funny the way that works. It is. All right. Uh, next story from AV Magazine. I'm just going to say this flat out. There's a 16K display on the market. That's the story. 16K, kids. Is there 16K content? That's the first question, Jennifer. What? what um, how far is the viewing angle? Because I need a bigger house to watch. You do need a bigger house. All right. So, BOE, BOA, sorry, is the is the manufacturer who who um, unveiled it at Display Week. 110 inch, 16K display. Uh, it, it quote unquote promises an unprecedented level of visual immersion. No kidding. It's 16K. Jennifer. You're right. Let's start with that. Where's the content and where's it coming from? Well, where's all the 4K content still? Not not everything. Not even the even... 8K. We're even talking about 8K. Yeah. Where's the 4K content? Right. And, you know, I've been in the AV industry 16 years. I was a high school math teacher previously to that. It, you know, and I'm sure Britt sees this at university levels. The stuff that's going on there isn't 4k where they're they're still doing powerpoint presentations they're still writing on chalkboards they're still doing powerpoint presentation in 4.3 they're still using vga cables that's all they i'm are. gonna say it, you i remember all of that and wish that would still go away but yes it's still a thorn in everyone's side i think but but my concern i don't know if it's a concern but it is a concern this yeah. is going to come out it's going to be amazing it's going to look great and it looks great because they had somebody create the content in 16k yeah. just like somebody created the content in 4k so yay it's maybe at a movie theater maybe some amazing digital signage it, i think it's going to have a unique application okay. i also think it's one of those that that says hey look what we potentially can do and now it's we're not going to hear about it maybe for another couple of years. All right. Britt, what, what, I mean, higher ed, there, there are some applications and I, I still hear the argument in the back of my brain about 4k for higher ed. Well, we could, you know, medical applications, medical training, stuff like that. We're not kidding. I mean, higher ed still uses VGA. I, I, the old college I used to work for still has VCRs because there are some professors who won't let go of those tapes. What are we doing with 16k? 
we're not doing anything with 16k okay <laughs> just not at this time like jennifer said there's really no content available for that uh so i mean i could see the potential applications of like dig- digital signage maybe especially in the high profile buildings like an admissions building for example or a union building you yeah. know digital like really high quality digital signage could go a long way and um to your point tim like sure for an analytical decision making situation and you know a medical school like fine that would be super cool but again i just don't think the content exists right now um also i don't know did you guys watch the video that was in that article okay so what i found really interesting was first of all they seem to really pitch this tv as for home use in that video where they were like oh it has handles on it so when you move you can move it and i was like what are you talking about like this is not this is not for your house um and then later i actually watched this video three or four times to make sure i heard him correctly but at one point he says the pixels are finer than gal gadot's and it bleeps out and i was like this product is dead to me thank you so much yes yeah, that was one of those when people say the AV industry does not have have a sexism and misogyny problem. Point number one already, and we're not even at Infocom. Yeah, well, this, I mean, I doubt that this product will be at Infocom. Um, Bradford, uh, you can take this a couple different ways. I do want to hear from you, though, on, on transport, right? Okay. We, we've we've kind of killed, there is no content for 16 Well, I'm going to disagree with that a little bit. Okay, there's not a whole lot of content. For I'm 16K. still gonna. Okay, I'm gonna go with there's not a whole lot of use for it. But I have design systems at 32k and bigger because theme parks and a hundred foot wide system yes. using multiple 4k streams. It's a huge video wall that is at that high of a resolution. So 16k is not. Out there is a question. vast difference between 100 feet and 100 inches. <laughs> That's what I'll agree with. But okay. like at a sports book in the Hilton, a yes. huge 16K display. Yes. Great. Now that, but 103 inch 16K display, your eyes cannot physically resolve that. And if you sit far enough, you have to either sit so far away that it looks appropriate. Yeah. Or sit so close so you can see the pixels. And you can't do it now. T- your next question is: How do you get the content to it? How do you transport that? So there's a couple ways. Uh, so if you look, and in full disclosure, I used to work for Harman, which was purchased by Samsung. They had the product called the Wall, which still exists. I've worked with them on their digital cinema products. I'm not going to violate any non-disclosure agreements. You guys can, and girls, and people, and cyborgs can all look this up however you want. A lot of times there is no transport. The content lives in the device, in the display, in the output, uh, just because a hard drive is cheaper. Okay. Yes, you have to go physically change it, but it's the only way to get consistent streaming to it and consistent content to it. And it also gives you security of your content not being stolen because as soon as you stream it, see Ring Video, someone can steal it. There's all sorts of things about cinema. Now, in terms of content, you just, it sounds silly to say, oh, you just bind four 12G SDI connectors together, but literally that's what you would do. It's a video wall at that point. Yeah. Uh, it's a huge amount of bandwidth, and I'm not sure you're going to get the resolution. Now, I will say 16K for content creation 
an 8K for content creation and capture, like for cameras. Can you imagine watching the Bears in a 16K, you know, recording of it? What's great is you'd be able to, to zoom in on the one player who's any good, who was actually the water boy on the, or water person on the bench filling the water cups. But that's where that type of resolution makes sense is in the content capture so you can do the digital zooms yeah. but even at 103 inches you're hard pressed to see between 4k and 8k uh and the fact that people are using this as oh this is 4k resolution i'm like you can't see a pixel you're not really getting it uh when i was at Harmon, we made a pixel for pixel video wall of 4k on a five millimeter pitch and tim i know you've seen it because you were at the experience center what was it, 40 feet tall? Yeah. It was big, and it you had big. to be a little ways away to see it so that all the pixels didn't resolve in. It's At some point, you're going beyond what is practical in the human eye can see and ingest. Now, if they had a 16K 100-foot system or 16K 20-foot system, be great for a network operations center or command and control or AutoCAD drawings or... NASA when they're launching space stuff, but I don't see it in any place that has, that's not willing to spend a million dollars on just a display. All right. Final final story uh, comes from our website. A recent incident involving a scoreboard failure during a New York Mets game. I'm sorry, Gina Sansevero, but it couldn't have happened to a nicer team. Uh, it's raised concerns about vulnerability. Gina's a big Mets fan. Um, vulnerability to the sports venue technology, the malfunction re resulted in, which resulted in a blank scoreboard for a significant portion of the game highlights the potential risks faced by stadiums and arenas relying heavily on complex audiovisual systems. One of the things that came out of this, uh, when they finally got it up and running, they were playing the, the Tampa Bay, the Tampa Rays, the system got up and running again, and it showed the Rays logo to which the fantastic fans of the New York Mets started to boo the tech team, I guess, uh, or the board, or the team. I don't know who they were booing. They're Mets fans. Um, Brit, still a step up with, from being a Bears fan. Hey, you know what? I, I, am a, I am an unabashed Bears fan. I will always be a Bears fan, and that's it. Uh, they, they do stink. Um, Britt, you, um, you just went through a, a pretty high-level, high-profile um, high commencement um nothing happened you know no, there was no fails with with Britt and her team but how do you how, how do you come back from a fail like this how do you how do you recoup whether that's internally right but also externally to the outside world that yes we know what we're doing and and, and we can we can solve these issues well, I think it starts with how you approach it in that moment. How quickly are you down? You know, can you fix it quickly? Can you find an alternative solution quickly? Like, how capable are you of keeping things moving in that moment? And then recognizing after the fact how you're able to move forward. Because any thing that goes wrong is an opportunity to learn something. So what did you learn from it? Um, both in terms of staffing, what you were capable of doing in the moment, why it went wrong, what to do next time, how to prevent it from happening later. And I, I personally have never had a large scale failure like that. I'm not going to wood. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know that, um, 
what what the final step is in terms of the people who experienced the, the failure. You know, I, I imagine something like an issuing of an apology or a statement, you know, might be appropriate depending on what happened. I have never had to do that personally. Bradford, this is the second major one of a video system in the last 12 months. The first one happened at the Rams stadium. Uh, thankfully, it was in preseason, but the complete failure of that system. How do you, what, what I mean, here's the thing. I, I am old enough to, to remember redundancies, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, way back 100 years ago when I was in radio, we had like three different transmitters and three different receivers for a single broadcast. How do you prevent something like this in an age where everything is IP based? What is those? What are those redundancies? Well, I, I want to be careful here because I have been in City Field in the stadium, played with the video board when it was being built. So you're the reason it failed. I am the reason it failed. I tried to hook up my my Atari twenty six hundred so I could play Tank on it, and it just crashed. Uh, but the reason I want to be careful about that is there are all sorts of rules that not everyone's aware of about the video board, the size of the image, what type of image you're allowed to show when a baseball player is at the is at bat. You're not allowed to have a moving image behind the pitcher when he goes to pitch, which makes sense. Makes sense. But those are some of the rules that not everyone's aware of that fall into that. Uh, so some of these items are actually game operation staffing issues and not necessarily hardware or system issues. It's knowing all those little rules and making the right decisions or at times making the wrong decision and watching things trickle. Uh, I have had projects fail at this level multiple times. Uh, I've had, you know, MetLife Stadium went silent during their first public event for football because the fire alarm went off. Everyone blamed the audio system. And I was like, no, audio system did exactly what it was supposed to. So I'm not going to be the one to say, oh, it was the video board. For all we know, they could have gotten a spurious command saying, you need to do this. Yeah. I am going to say that the fact that it's IP-based does not make it more complex. The fact okay. that it's complex is a result of technology and what we're all expecting because I can do OBS at home, uh, open broadcast studio, and do my own video production in the churches and the colleges and can all do that so the bar has been raised. Uh, the problem is all too often... The staffing is not always trained well, or there is a flaw beyond, this, beyond the operator's control. The example I use is I had a project for a major casino that took the casino down for various reasons, none of which were my fault. But the network switch that was provided by others and maintained by others had a problem. Same thing happened at Lucas Oil Stadium, same thing happened at Edmonton Airport of its audio and video have a different quality of service. Uh, I can go through all these different places. It's happened during a U.S. Open where there's been noise during uh, play on in Flushing Meadows uh, since we're talking about that. So the bigger issue is, as Britt said, how do you recover? How do you deal with it? How do you move forward from it is the key. And one of the big things is admit it happened and explain why it happened, but don't explain it in the, well, we had an AES uh, 
cryptographic key not work properly, so our flip then flopped. And no, just be like, we had a blue screen of death, and we had to restart the computer. And we all know Windows then had to do an update. Almost everyone would kind of go, okay, I get okay. it. Now, the why the default image was the opposing team could be some archaic rule I don't know of. Who's at bat? It might have been the last image they had in the still store. There's all sorts of things. Uh, but it's happened at hockey games. There's blue screens of death that we've all seen at airports. Yep. It has nothing, to, and this is going to sound a little counterintuitive, it has nothing to do with the fact it's a video board. Okay. It has to do with content delivery and management systems. The fact it's a video board just means it's huge, like it's a 16K display. But it's still just a huge display you have to get your content to. This happened in May, right? And and I am not a huge baseball fan, but I, I gen generically know that baseball starts in, in April, right? The 1st of April, typically, sometimes the end of March. That means that this team had been on the job for over a month with this system. It's not always one team. Okay. That's not always one team. It's, there could be multiple My question staff. is still valid. That's fine. I just want to make sure you have all the boundary conditions. How do you train these folks? How, how do you train your customers to where they feel comfortable, right? And, and, and where, where is that handoff and where is that baton passing to where you feel, you feel good about it and they feel good about it, right? I don't think... If I had to do a train the trainer model, mm -hmm. I still wouldn't feel comfortable because I wouldn't feel that the trainer that I was training trained the other trainees in the yeah. way it should be, right? So I don't know if it's what that answer is. You know, do you do you repeatedly train people where you're going back in on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on, you know, daily basis when it's something so significant like that? Um, I don't know. But the other thing you look at it is like Bradford said, if the blue screen of death showed up, I don't think we'd be talking about this. I think it was because everybody that has some type of a computer understands what that is. Yeah. If the screen was dark and there was nothing there, then yes. And also you're right. Maybe who knows? Maybe somebody tripped over a cable. Are all the cables the way they're supposed to be? Is there cable management? Done? I mean, I'm in AV. If you look at my office, there's cables all over the place. So if my dog comes in and happens to, you know, get a hold of it with a toy, uh, something's getting unplugged. So did yeah. that happen? So, but the default, I, I will be honest, when I watched the video and I looked at it, I seriously thought the Ray's logo was a Photoshop in because it was so clean, so clear. It was, it's, it's pretty. Yeah. Um, so I thought, you know, did that, did that really happen? Uh, but you do see it, but yeah, that, that, you know, like Bradford says, is it a, the last image that was loaded? Is it the default of whatever the last thing was the last person at that? Who knows? But I, you've got to train, I think in a way that's going to get multiple hands touched, but once it's installed, once it's done, as the installer, integrator, salesperson, whoever, we you don't have you we we don't have control of that. Yeah. It's now put on that team of people who's in charge of managing the scoreboard, running everything. And you know, like you said, maybe it was 
that, you know, the guy called off sick. You don't know. But their public announcement of what happened, I think we all would feel better. You know, like you said, we tripped over a cable. Sorry. My bad. Uh, Well, that is going to do it. Uh, I appreciate y'all. All of us uh, will be heading sometimes where she, some, sometime between now and the time this post, we'll be heading to Orlando, except for Bradford, because he lives there. Um, but we're all heading to Infocom. We'll talk about that in a second. Brent, uh, very nice to meet you. Um, um, in, in this context, Brent and I have, have talked previously, but, but never on AV Week. So very nice to have you on. Uh, how do people connect with you and your podcast? Thank you. It was great being here. So um, my podcast is Brave Space. It's hosted by Higher Ed AV Media, so you can find it on their website. It's also available anywhere you listen to podcasts, so iTunes, Spotify, etc. I personally am on Twitter under Brave Brit, and I am also on LinkedIn with my name, Brit Yenser. All right. Very good. Jennifer Weaver, very nice to have you. Uh, how do people connect with you or Starin? So you can connect with me um, through Starin's website and dialing directly into the number. They can pull me up. Um, on LinkedIn, I'm Jennifer Weaver. Um, on Twitter, I'm Jay Weaver Starin. Um, and then if you guys look me up, you can ping me, call me, email me. But I will definitely be heading to Infocom uh, on Sunday. And please, if you guys are there, stop by and see the Starin booth. We are booth number 2926. All right, very good. Mr. Ben, thank you, sir. How do people connect with you or the Advisist group? Uh, we do not have Twitter. We do not have Facebook. We do not have Instagram. Remember ringing the privacy yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm that guy. Uh, so advisist.com, or you can find me at Bradford at, for those you want Mastodon, uh, Bradford.ben at audio-video.tech. I actually have a, a Mastodon server open to all. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. You also can typically find me lampooning Tim and the Bears. And uh, I will be at Infocom. My schedule is online if you actually want to make an appointment for me to come visit you because going the other way seemed to be really difficult. And uh, also, I will have some of these there. Uh, there it's a pride pin for those of you who are not watching the video. Uh, it For those who want, uh, I also fully understand those who don't come to Florida, as I said in my impassioned post. Uh, and uh, look forward to seeing you there. Look forward to seeing all these lovely people in person. And Tim, I'm looking forward to you buying me dinner on Saturday night. I think I can handle that. So, because I, I already have an appointment with Bradford. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, do not follow me on the Twitters, because uh, as Bradford said, I will do nothing but talk about the Bears. Uh, but go by the website if you would, please. Avionation.tv. That's Avionation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Brand spanking new EdTech uh, with our friends uh, over there. Uh, Aaron Mayer Moran uh, is the host of that. So, that is brand new. But we will also be heading to Infocom 14th through the 16th of June. Uh, all kinds of content coming around there. My day job is I'm head of marketing uh, for CTI out of St. Louis, and we also have a booth, 4101. If you are an end user, Bradford and Jennifer, I am terribly sorry, but if you are an end user, you can get a shot at $10,000 if you come by the booth, 4101. Tell them I said, uh, to, said hey, because uh, I, I have to do my job that week and I won't be around the booth, but uh, some fantastic people will. Uh, you throw some bags. If you get a hole, you get it, your name in the bucket. Plus, we are given $10 uh, for every hole uh, that is gotten to St. Jude. Uh, 
is our is our charity this year. Uh, St. Jude's been a, a charity of ours for a long time at CTI, and, and that's we're just going to continue that that. Uh, that uh, tradition. So uh, 4101 is where we will be. A uh, bunch of parties. Uh, obviously, the Aviation tweet-up happens 4 to 6 on Wednesdays. You can you can check out uh, aviation.tv and register there. We have a party at the Ice Bar on Tuesday, um, and we also have uh, Tech on Tap from CTI on Wednesday and Thursday. So check all that out and more at aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Thank you.